0: Welcome to
1: Time to Gather, a podcast where women talk it through one story at a time so that we can all move towards more purposeful, integrated, and powerful lives together. I'm Melinda Bullen. And I'm Emily Jennings.
2: And we're two working, living, surviving, trying to thrive women living on two different coasts from two different generations with the same love for good conversation, curiosity, and connection.
1: We're imperfect. We're learning. And we are you. And we're so grateful you're here taking the time to gather with us today.
2: Hi, Melinda. Hi, Emily. How's it going?
1: It's going really well. Excited <laughs> about our next episode.
2: Yay. Well, that's good to hear. I'd be really sad if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, not looking forward to this one. <sighs> because today I am sharing a little bit about my story, and that's what we're gonna be talking about. So this season, we are talking all about risk and jumping off and taking the leaps and exploring what that's like and the different experiences that we have had and our guests in the future have had.
1: Yeah. um, Super looking forward to uh, hearing your story today, Emily. Um, So as you all know by now, uh, we have formal bios uh, linked below that you can read and get to know a little bit more about us and our backgrounds. But today, I get the pleasure of telling you about the Emily I know, Uh, the colleague, thought partner, co-creator, and fierce friend. So uh, as Emily mentioned in the last episode, we met while working together at another organization. We were peripheral at first, sort of in each other's orbit, um, but through shared meetings and shared colleagues, and then ultimately a lot of shared projects, we got to know each other a little better, a lot better, I should say, um, a lot better. and a lot better. <laughs> and, uh, it really didn't take long for me to see that she was a force, a powerful force. So I could tell you all 50 stories that give examples of what I mean by powerful force. But what I'd like to do is just let me define that uh, through what I see as the lens of Emily. Um, So first, I want to talk a little bit about her insight and wisdom. Um, Her insight, right? I think a lot about that word and what that means. And for me, um, that meant that she brought so much to our projects and conversations um, in terms of seeing things from a different perspective. Uh, but what was really special, I think, for me personally, was that she allowed me with her insight to see myself differently. Uh, things that I did that I didn't realize were valuable or talents or gifts, she could not only see them, but then she was able to come to me and articulate them and help me see them. That's insight. And she does it with people. She does it with projects. She does it with the world. Um, and it's just extraordinary but also um, her wisdom. And for me, that means uh, I've always noticed that she's really responsive and not reactive. Um, There's little chaotic energy with Emily. I feel like I have a lot of chaotic energy. (laughs) I don't think she it does. She does not seem to have a lot of chaotic energy. Um, you're laughing, but I think that's really true. Um, but instead, I just always get a sense from you of a deep grounding, um, what feels like a knowing. And I once described her as a metronome, which for those that don't know, that is the tool that musicians use, that sort of ticking tool that allows them to keep rhythm and a beat. Um, That may have seemed like a super strange comparison, but the reason it came up for me is because she is steady. She's present um, and predictable in a way that brings calm and confidence to situations. Um, So that is how her insight and wisdom are powerful horses for sure. But she's also just plain thoughtful. Um, I have so many memories and experiences where she has taken time to really honor moments that often slide by us, especially with ourselves, because we're just not trained and taught to celebrate ourselves and our accomplishments in a really open and public way. And so we often put them aside or cover them up or, you know, eschew them in some way. And she just really stops and takes a beat and lets you know, I see you, I see what you've done and I celebrate it. So when I say she's thoughtful, um, it's in those ways, those those ways of making the unseen seen, which is really beautiful. Mm. She also reminds us of the positive, the previous, and the often unrecognized. So I can't count on two hands how many times she was reminded us, reminded me, I should say, of the shoulders we stand on, right? Those that have preceded us. Um, and and it's not just about reminding me of those folks that have come before us but it's the reminder that we are also stewards of those that are coming after us and so part of our work is continuing to build the ladder for the next generation and that's something i think resonates deeply with me and i'm so grateful to work with somebody that is um is a a champion of that way of being um I also want to talk a little bit, sorry, I know, Emily, <laughs> this is so hard for you, but this is just something people need to know. Um, I think the thing that, like, if I were to put put a little pyramid, like an Emily pyramid together, the thing I'd put at the very top. And
2: bury me in it. No, no,
1: no, <laughs> um, is your integrity, um, mm. and I, I have very strong memories um, of you Multiple times in our work together uh, with other people, not necessarily always with me directly, but in witnessing you with other people doing the hard thing.
0: Mm.
1: Right. And it wasn't because you were being righteous and you were teaching lessons, it was because you were practicing what does it mean to live in my own values? Right, and in watching you do that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it would be so much easier for her to just go along with this, right? Um, to to ease into the group, to to melt into what was happening." And instead, you were like, "I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this," and you were able to do that in those moments um, in a way that allowed people to maintain their dignity, right? Mm. So there was no shaming of other people, um, but you were also able to model. Uh, really, what I would say is the thing we all probably knew was the better choice and weren't making it. And so that's something when I say it's at the top of my pyramid that is like my go to Emily is like you are a person of, of true integrity, but I'm being very serious and one thing that is not so serious is her sense of humor. She's also very funny you're going to get to see that a lot in this podcast. Um, But my favorite part of her funniness is that it's really sly and subtle and it sneaks up on you sometimes. (laughs) But it's also the kind of funny where like you're laughing about something way later than the funny moment because it just runs really deep. So um, at the end of the day, I hope you can see what I see and I know you will, that she's just good people. And I feel really lucky uh, to be able to share this podcast with her and really lucky to share her with all of you um so with that emily i'm hoping you and she's take crying a- people I know. <laughs> I'm crying over here oh. oh you're so welcome but it's all so so true and and now i'm really excited because i've said a lot about you but now you get to say a little about you and sharing a story so why don't we take a listen hey there this is emily calling in with a story that i didn't expect to tell
3: but seems to be the story i'm needing to tell so, throughout my childhood and teenage years, I had all these really weird symptoms that were kind of shrapneled over time and throughout my body, like double vision, migraines, fatigue, uh, throw up pain that would cause wild coughing, uh, coughing fits, uh, dizziness, and these things continually got worse in the college. So we definitely tried to diagnose these over my childhood through a good handful of different doctors and visits, usually focusing on the individual symptoms. And there was just no relief. Uh, these visits also came with a good heap of skepticism and like disbelief from doctors. And in middle school, a really formative experience was hearing one of them tell my mom that he thought I was making up double vision for attention And at some point, I started to believe I was making up these symptoms, too. So fast forward to my senior year of college, and things had gotten worse. Terrible pain, losing hand mobility, mobility, incontinence. Um, And at the time, I worked at this campus health center with a bunch of really solid and caring women. And I remember going in after a really bad night of symptoms and telling my doctor that there, that we needed to figure this out and that I wasn't going to stop until we did. Um, And I was able to do that also because I felt like I had this group of people that wouldn't stop until we did. So it turns out that I grew up with an undiagnosed brain, brain malformation called Chiari and I needed brain surgery. So one of the riskiest, most for me, quality of life decisions I've ever made wasn't even a decision that I really remember actively making. I never really thought not to do it. I don't think I ever thought not to do it. Um, Long story short, things that, things went really, really wrong, and I had a very long and grueling medical journey. Um, And I'm really grateful to be here sharing this story with you today. But in reflecting on this jumping off moment, this story, what um, is striking me the most is that what I thought was a quality of life decision for me actually turned into a how I live my life decision. From self-advocacy to getting really clear on what I value in this life to taking future risks and jumps to loving my community, using this surgery, uh, choosing me, just changed everything forever. Thank you.
1: We're back. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the story because I know you and we've talked yeah. about it and you've even been able to share parts of your experience um, with me in moments of deep empathy with things I might be going through. So you have uh, gifted this in some ways, gifted this, this hard part of your life and um, to me, and I'm sure others, and helping them get through hard parts of their life. And so, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing it today. Um, I wanted to just first check in and say, how did it feel to tell this story? I think it felt
2: really grounded. Like, I felt Mm -hmm. like my feet were firmly on the ground. Like I said in it, I wasn't expecting to tell this story. I was trying to think of all these different moments that I've taken risks and jumped off and like shifted life especially in the professional world since that's a lot of what we're kind of connecting with and focusing on um but when this part of my story kind of bubbled up in that it just was like this is what I have to tell and that mm-hmm. kind of that knowing and it's like okay and I kind of tried to back out of it I was like but this isn't connected enough t- and clear enough to <laughs> like uh these different like these the purpose finding parts of life. This is just a medical health decision, you know, and tried to Mm -hmm. minimize it. But there was this under undercurrent that was like, Nope, this is, this is the one that kind of shapes a lot of the rest of what I've been able and how I've been able to live life.
1: So, you know, I have felt, I have felt that fear, Mm -hmm. right. Of, um, of not knowing what was wrong, but knowing something was wrong. Right. And, I have no doubt that our listeners have had experiences in their lives too. Um, so one of the things I was thinking a lot about with this story is um, how did that fear manifest? How is it showing up for you? Anxiety, in early years. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and continues yeah. to show up as anxiety. I mm-hmm. mean, I think in the early years of like growing up, um, I mean, you don't know what other people are feeling in their bodies, right? Like, so you kind of have this ability to normalize what you're feeling in your own body. And mm-hmm. you don't necessarily know that self-trust. Like we were taught from a young mm-hmm. age, you know, like, if you're hungry, wait for dinner, you know, like so many ways our self-trust is like corroded. And like, if you're too bad that you're tired, we need to keep doing this thing or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, and um, yeah, I felt like, it felt like kind of self-doubt, self, like I'd be having these really wild symptoms and pushing them aside. It felt like pushing myself aside. That's what it was. Mm. I'm totally processing this out loud because it's such yeah, a good question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that fear felt like everything else mattered more than me. And mm. I think as, as as a woman and as a person who's really like, I am very socially justice minded and have always have been. Um, and I just felt like I could power through, you know, Mm -hmm. over and over Mm -hmm. again. Um, and it felt really bad. Like I really vividly remember when I heard the doctor tell my mom that I was Mm. making it up and there was part of me that thought I was, even though like I'm not an attention seeker person, like that wasn't in my, in my, what I was doing, if I would have been able to like, look back and, uh, like reflect on myself I wasn't trying to get attention yeah but I started to think I was
1: you know you and I've you and I've had just you know offline in our in our friendship conversations about um this idea of seeking attention right like um kids seeking attention or like this this ascribing of that and um I've had moments of that in my childhood too, um, as an extroverted, high energy little kid, right? And mm-hmm. and sort of like, I think part of it is that, that's so interesting is whether it's true or not. It's irrelevant to me. Like,
0: mm, there's somebody. Yes.
1: <laughs> whether somebody's making something up for attention or something's really happening, like either way, it deserves attention.
0: Yeah. Right. Yep. yep.
1: But I, rem- when you were told that part of the story, golly, literally, I felt it in my body. I felt that sinking moment of just not being believed, not yeah. being seen, and for you know an eleven-year-old or whatever to be in amidst adults and a trusting, established institution, and for it to be telling you, you know, you're making this up. Like that's so formative. Could be so formative, yeah. right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I have
2: to give such props to my mom. Like she never made me feel like I was mm-hmm. making things up. Like she mm-hmm. always kept trying to find out what was going on with these different, mm-hmm. like, because it was so hard to pinpoint because it was neurological and neurological stuff. As we know, it was really difficult for our medical world to figure out because it's just so difficult to like, kind of get a grasp on. It's this slippery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> slippery kind of magical manifestation of things. Yeah. Um, but she never made me feel that way. But mm-hmm. the medical world definitely made me feel that way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, going back to sort of the fear and the fear manifesting as anxiety,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, was the fear ever helpful? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was it helpful?
2: Yeah. So when I was in college, my senior year, um, things had gotten so bad that like um, I was having terrible, terrible chest pain and pain down my left arm. And that's mm-hmm. because my... uh. This My spinal fluid had built up into a kind of a cyst on my spine that was hitting mm. that nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is the pain that you often hear about with heart attacks and heart problems and things right. like that. And so uh, my partner and I w- literally had next to our bed um, the directions and the phone number for the closest ER every night because it was just this constant stress and terror of like things could get way worse. And I was in such bad pain. Going to the bathroom many times a night, just like dizzy, mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, and that you can only sustain that fear for so long. Like you can only be in that place for so long until yeah. something just uh it's enough. Like you just, you know something's wrong. You have to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think that fear gave me the courage and the power to walk in the door of my health center and say that we have to figure this out. Like mm. this long burn up of a lot of, of a lifetime of fear and uncertainty. Right kind of got to that peak where yeah. it was helpful. It gave me that momentum. It made me know that I, something had to change.
1: Mm. Well, thank you so much going to that, that place around fear. Um, let's
0: take a break. And when yeah. we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Emily and I love supporting causes we believe in. And that's what Time to Gather is for us something we believe in that connects and celebrates all of us through stories and wild, amazing everyday women. If you believe in helping support a space like Time to Gather, consider donating to our podcast by visiting our website, timetogatherpodcast.com, and hitting that Donate button. Your donation helps Time to Gather survive and thrive. Welcome back from break. Uh,
1: I want us to continue our deep dive into Emily's story. Um, So, you know, I love how you talk about this decision, um, not even feeling like a decision, right? That Mm -hmm. the surgery wasn't even something you thought not to do. And uh, it was a reminder to me that there are so many moments in life that are that way um big hard risky brave things that aren't decisions yet require so much of us right how do we prepare for these can Mm. we prepare for these that's the question (laughs) (laughs) that's the question emily i want to know what is the meaning of life help fix this <laughs> <laughs> fix all of the uncertainty oh what a
2: big beautiful question i can speak to how i prepared for it and what yeah i did to prepare for it to it to
1: yeah that i want to know because you know this idea of like can we prepare for this like is that even yeah. possible yeah. um you know life doesn't just happen to us right so i'd love to hear yeah how you prepared for it
2: and, and, it, and this isn't so much reflection too. what's coming up for me are things that I didn't know I was doing to prepare for it. But mm-hmm. I don't think if they it's like a domino effect. If those things wouldn't have been in place, I don't yeah. know if I would have been able to move through this uh, through this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that's coming to mind is to find people who love you and who you mm-hmm. love to build that mm-hmm. community out in a really quality way. Um, I don't think I would have Taken that leap so willingly without knowing there was this net of humans Mm. around me who had me, like who would be able to support me when I was sick, to cheer me on, to help find doctors, to help plan medical things, to house me, um, to Mm -hmm. do all of these different pieces. And you don't need every person and every piece filled. And you don't know the ways that the people who love you will show up in your life or the people who care about you. um, Right and the people who accept you and see you as who Mm -hmm. you are.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, What else? What's coming up for you, Melinda? Have you prepared for those Mm. moments in life?
1: I think, you know, it is a tough question, right? I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that um, I've thought about a lot. The word despair has come up in my life a lot in my community Mm. of of friends because people have been dealing with deep grief. Yeah. And, um, I think one of the things I've noticed about myself as we've talked about grief and despair is I don't know where I got it, but ever since I was a little one, I've always understood or believed, let's put it that way. I'm not saying this is universal truth, but part of, I think my faith statement in the world is this will end, mm-hmm. right? In yeah. other words, whatever hard thing I'm going through, it will end. Yeah. And I will get on the other side of that. Um, i never knew to value that way of thinking until i've seen somebody in true despair where they can't see the end they can't have faith that it's going to be over right and so i guess when i say trust in yourself it isn't trite because it's it's those moments of like i i've been through enough life experience i've seen what i'm capable of and I'm going to trust and I'm going to cultivate that faith yeah. that yes. this will end. So that would be something I, I would say comes up for me. Yeah. And that's completely
2: uh, like triggering for me and I deserve better. Like mm. I think mm. that like trust it will end, but that also you deserve to get out of that hole, get out of that space. And that was one of the things that was so clear to me when I got the diagnosis, because um, Chiari is degenerative, it was only going to get worse and worse and worse. Wow. I didn't um, know mm-hmm. And so it was the only option was to have surgery and reading about it and learning about the degenerative nature of it was, oh, I deserve better. Like, that's not, you know, the life I want to have. And I am worth this big risk, this big jump, this huge potential expense, you know, like yeah, right. all of these different pieces that come with a big decision like that. But like knowing that you want something different in life than what you want and just being able to kind of innately go in that direction. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's really powerful. Um, so I'm, this isn't surprising, but your story has me thinking and had me thinking so much about trust right? Um, trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like you, like we were just talking about people trusting us. You were naming your mom as somebody that trusted what you were experiencing, trusted you, right? Yep, yep. And others didn't. Um, and then us trusting establishments or experts, which is we're in a yeah. really, really complicated time with a lot of that. Um, and so how have you reckoned with the concept and practice of trust after your experience? Yeah, oh, that it's
2: it completely it completely changed everything about how I trust myself, mm-hmm. um, and has shaped how I live my life since. Um, this lack of self trust and this large amount of trust in institutions and people who are knowledgeable about bodies and all that mm-hmm. good stuff, like that's why it went on for so long. Like this is something I was Mm. born with. It went into my early twenties until it got diagnosed instead of when I graduated college, instead of looking for a job, I was looking for a neurosurgeon. Like Mm -hmm. it's just such a different uh, experience. And there's part of me that regrets that it took so long because I didn't have my voice, didn't speak up, wasn't, didn't, you know, maybe I wasn't like pounding the pavement enough Mm -hmm. earlier days in my life and being clear enough. And that's a self-doubt that still sticks with me around things Mm -hmm. but as far as self-trust goes one of the ways it's really changed me is that if I see something wrong in the world or something doesn't feel right something feels yucky in the world in myself in what's going on around me I believe myself that that is something that isn't Mm -hmm. isn't the way as it should be that is something that's yuck. That is something that is not fitting with my values and taking the time to like sink into that and feel it and be aware of it. And then getting clear on the actions that I'm needing to do to move away from that or to advocate for it or to um, lift that up. Like that is such a big part of my life now because I experienced it personally of that self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um is the piece that I had to learn in order to be here today. And it continually in the medical journey, like once I was, so it was months and months of surgeries and being in neuro ICUs and in and out of hospitals and all these different things. And that is the trial by fireplace to learn how to raise your voice and advocate for what's going on in your Mm -hmm. body and with you. Because as incredibly, intelligent and practiced and caring the helpers and the doctors and the nurses around you are. they don't know your body. They don't know your values. They don't know what's going on for you and that's your role. And so, yeah, that's brought me forward to um, to who I am today and it's completely informed how like what I do in the world as a social worker and as somebody who's working towards social justice is, it is our role and we are allowed to believe ourselves when we see that something's off and we Mm -hmm. can keep lifting that up because we can believe, believe, believe what we see isn't Mm -hmm. what's, what's okay.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting. You are, um, talking about that, that line, the line of when, when do I take action? When do I stop questioning myself? not knowing right Mm -hmm. and you having the many years of this uncertainty of like yeah there's something happening but i don't i don't know how to advocate i don't know how to i don't know how to be heard um and then the questioning right but maybe maybe and you know you and i've had lots of conversations because we're always faced with choices and decision making right and again I, i think as women as professional women as mothers as friends whatever the context is where other people are looking to us and relying on us there is this constant balance right Mm -hmm. of um what is right for me and will will help me thrive and also how do I continue to hold up the people and the things that I love and value
0: yeah Yeah. and so
1: um I I think it's really interesting you know you're sort of articulating I, I hope I'm I'm you know saying what you said but this idea of like this experience allowed you to sort of solidify this this self-knowing in this voice in a way that's given you confidence to move forward and i have witnessed it i have witnessed it so i just want to say i really appreciate you talking about the years that it took you to get there and and yeah there is regret why didn't i see and see myself sooner why didn't i make myself louder sooner how could i have been heard more and there's nothing you have to blame yourself around, but I understand the, the regret, right? I understand the feeling.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've all had that, I feel like, with something absolutely. in life.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hi, all. While we're taking a break, let me tell you about some other ways to connect with Time to Gather. You can find more episodes, resources, and more on our website, timetogatherpodcast.com. And don't forget to connect with us on social. Find out the latest podcast news, preview new episodes, connect with other listeners, and get to know your hosts, Melinda and Emily, through our regular posts. You can find the Time Together podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
1: So, you know, you talked before about people and community being the net, can yeah. sort of help catch you in this big life fall um or or jump off right yeah. which is another theme right not just a, <laughs> a 2.0 that's yeah. right um so but i'm curious about as you were going through the very complicated medical journey that just started with the diagnosis right you sort mm-hmm. of alluded to that in your story but that was just the start of a really long hard period what practices, mm. uh, what people, though you've already talked about some of the people, so you don't have to go go there too much if you don't want to, but what practices, what thinking did you employ to um, survive such difficult circumstances?
2: Ooh, there's a lot of them.
1: Because
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was survive. And I really yeah. believe, I love this question because I deeply believe I survived because of my community and because mm-hmm. there are these people to hold on to and who are holding on to me, things got to a really bad. And uh, the doctors put it really simply. They don't know how I made it through it kind of thing, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. without any um, any long-term uh, changes or trauma to my brain. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just miracles upon miracles uh, for for lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are many different practices. Um, so my mom stayed with, uh, I'm going to share one that my mom taught me first because she stayed with me every night in the ICU. So well over mm-hmm. a month, um, she was sleeping on one of those fold-out chairs um, next to me. And uh, she taught me this practice uh, to use especially at night, because I would get pretty fearful and I couldn't sleep because I was just in a a hospital bed all the time and all these different things. Um, And I don't know where she learned it. We'll have to look into that because she learned it from somewhere. But Mm -hmm. it's envisioning this light in the center of you. And then one by one envisioning people you know who care about you and love you wherever they are in the world and the country. And then Shining the light where they are, you kind of zoom out and see this map of the country, the world, whatever. And then in your mind, drawing a string from them to you, and then doing that mm. over and over again. And as you do that, the light inside you grows and the web and the string coming to you, there's just more and more of them. And mm. and it can be about people you care about too. They don't have to be thinking about you. But um, and that really I've used that so many times since in times of fear and worry and doubt. Mm. Um and it really helps keep me keeps me grounded and connected to my community no matter where I am I was great during the pandemic in the yeah, most isolation and loneliness of this knowing that there's mm-hmm. these people these but people are still there you can't yeah. be with them right now but they're still there I love um, them and people who who have moved on from this world too you yeah. can connect those threads anytime as well it's mm-hmm. this calling in um, of love of love of love of love connection right. the reason you know this humanity this this that's beauty right. of all of us um I think one of the things that's coming up for me that I was also a practice was even though um we jokingly called me a grandma baby <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, I needed like mm-hmm. constant care and like. Was, oh, I because it was it was also... you were like an old soul. I no, thought that was like, why. <laughs> when I was sick. It was like I was a grandma baby. Oh, I needed I like see. constant care and feeding, but I also was taking like a ton of medications. Like I was like on both ends of the spectrum, <laughs> the spectrum. of like yeah. the beginnings and ends of life uh, mm-hmm. as this like twenty something year old. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, we joking that was so. That just to give you a picture of how kind of like um, held down. I was by what was happening to my body. Like how sick I was is why I'm sharing Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that really got me through was, um, giving in the small ways I could. So one of my, my best friends, um, just so happened to get a job, uh, at the same time, a few blocks away from the hospital. Mm. Um, so she would come at like her lunchtime and, uh, just visit and chat with me. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I had the best room service in town, you know, like I had all these (laughs) meals delivered to me and you could order on the menu what you wanted and everything. So Mm -hmm. I would order desserts I knew she liked and I would save Mm -hmm. them for her from my meal and um, little things like that. Or like when my partner, um, my partner came to sleep and spend the night in the room with me at one point um, Mm -hmm. on the horrible fold-out chair Mm. and I couldn't go do it but my mom and I like planned it and she went and got like all this candy from the gift shop at the hospital (laughs) and like (laughs) to give to him and to like make it feel special and things like that so these little acts of gratitude and kindness I remember sharing it made me really clear um to share with the people I know and love what they've given to me in my life and how much Mm -hmm. I value them Mm -hmm. um and that I think really helped get me through because um, What was given, there was so much generosity being given to me by so many people in so many ways from sending me stickers to pictures of the outside of gardens and the outside world mm-hmm. to keep me grounded mm-hmm. in that to uh, like reading poetry to visiting. Like, because this of went people. on for months, yeah, right? it was months and months.
1: Yeah, I yep. think that's important to contextualize here. This yeah. wasn't a week in the hospital, this was no. months and months in the hospital. And for anybody that's up, been up in the hospital, yeah. yeah, for more than a couple of days, it, it is hard to even yeah. imagine. Um, Yet there are a lot of people in that circumstance, and you were one of them. Yeah, yeah.
2: To nurses Mm. like bringing dry shampoo to do my hair because like we couldn't Mm. wash my hair, and all these, so many, so much generosity, so much kindness.
1: Yeah, Um,
2: it's beautiful. And then I think one of the things that really helped me get through it was this recognizing of that the world goes on, and that we all play this role in the world, and Mm -hmm. and that that's enough. Like what we have to give to the world is enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I. It was it was a very weird situation because I was awake. We called it awake in the neuro ICU would be by like the title of the like documentary about it. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the people in the neuro ICU aren't awake. Um, they've had really Oof. terrible brain traumas like aneurysms mm-hmm. and strokes and mm-hmm. um, a million mm-hmm. other scary things. And they're dying and asleep um, oh. or um, whatever next to you in the same room sometimes in the room over. Um, and so there was a lot of, there's many times I was really near to people who were passing, um, and, uh, I think part of that was, there was this role that like, um, being so near these people who I had never met, never seen as they Mm -hmm. were having their last moments in the world and seeing their families come in, um, were, Mm -hmm this letting go and honoring and loving of their spirits and who they were. Um, There was this one night where a woman came in who was pregnant with twins and had suffered an aneurysm. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was in the next room to me and as she was passing and as I could see through the cracks in the blinds, her family gathering around her, trying not to see, trying to be respectful and not like, Mm -hmm. but you could feel it. You can feel, feel it through the wall, of course. Um, And the hospital is at. Uh, ha- is literally called Harbor View because it has this great view over the ocean, and I had been in there enough times that I finally got the side that was the Harbor View.
1: <laughs> so, you got enough punches on your punch card like, that you were able to yeah, yes. upgrade to Harbor View, <laughs> right? Right. Harbor but as,
2: as she as she passed the most like splendid sunset, and as her twins passed, this mm. like glorious sunset oh, was occurring. Yeah, and I just sat like I just like. I don't remember what I said, but it was just, like, over and over again in my head, like, like, loving her and her family and sending them into the sunset kind of thing, yeah. and knowing that that was something that could happen to me, and that was where kind of things were um, with, you know, a possibility in my life that got really clear on, like, um, the continuation of the world, that this beautiful, glorious, radiant sunset was happening during this the biggest grief of this family's mm. life mm. um and uh one of the things and mantras that really helped me that i've shared with a few people in my world and i'm sharing with all of you today is whales are swimming in the ocean
1: oh my god it's <laughs> amazing i'm so stealing it and i have but anyway, yeah anyway sorry i'm late yes, everybody me, steals i now. love it They're yep. whale
2: whales are swimming in the ocean right now and Ugh, no so matter true. what's happening in our world this like ridiculous magical incredibly Mm. like powerful heartbeat and rhythm and systems and breathing of the world goes on like and it's just a great way like the whale swimming is the visualization that I need and so whatever that visualization is that you need that reminds you that the world moves on and whether you're here or not whether this project gets done or not whether you said the right thing or not whether you like Mm -hmm. all of these different things the world is moving on in this way that is just the most beautiful, incredible part of anything ever.
1: <laughs> mm, golly, so powerful.
2: Oh, that's why I needed to share this story. That's what it is, Melinda. Like, oh. so you asked me at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. why did I feel like I needed to share this story? Because mm-hmm. if anything, what i went through i wish upon nobody and it taught me so much at a young age and like yeah. just these really clarifying things and i really hope that sharing this gives a little bit of that without y'all having to go through the shit like yes <laughs> that's yeah. why i need to tell, tell this story we don't have right. to get to death's door step to have these recognitions and realizations like we you can know, share these with each other
1: <laughs> it's true and and i I you know I'm such a firm believer in this. We talk about it in the intro episode. And that is the power of story. That's why mm-hmm. you and I wanted to center story in our podcasting, yeah. because it allows us to step into another person's experience, learn from it, feel it in our bodies. Um, have the perspective of another person to the closest we can without necessarily having to go through the very same things. Yep, right? yep, exactly. So that. you are, um, you're offering us a gift. And so thank you. I'm I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to figure out why you needed to <laughs> why do it. Why did I need that? Yeah, no, I love it. So I want to, I want us to circle back a little bit, just to this idea of like, you know, obviously it has shaped you to be the person that you are uh I mean that goes unspoken really, but I want to know specifically, can you point to anything this experience has has done to influence your professional work, your leadership work?
2: Yes, all of it. Yeah. I bring of all course, of it right. into sure. It. Yeah. Um this knowing that life is really uh brief and fleeting um mm-hmm. has really influenced my leadership work. It's gotten me really clear on um I want to be doing work that is in service and uh, in love for the world mm-hmm. and um, needing to be in spaces and find ways to continue to do that and lift that up. That's part of why I'm here doing this work with mm-hmm. Melinda mm-hmm. Um, and the many other things that I'm moving towards in life right now. Um, it's that advocacy for self, but also that advocacy with and for others is a big part of it. Um, I think one of the things that really came up for me during my surgeries is that people would often say, oh, but it's nothing would come to me with something that was going on in their life or complain about quote unquote, complain or say something about their lives. And then would say, but it's nothing like what you're going through right now. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the most separating things that I could have heard, um, Mm -hmm. because I didn't need my thing to be the worst thing it felt horrible that my thing was the worst thing Yeah. Um. I needed to be in shared humanity with people and to be yeah. connected to their struggles and their joys Um. one of I had a professor who I don't I've never seen since because she it was right after I graduated right so I was still very close mm-hmm. with my professors or at least close with my professors and she came Um, to the hospital after she had gone on this trip to Ireland. And she just talked Mm. about her trip the whole time. And it was so refreshing. It wasn't Mm. about my medicalness, about these things. But so she shared the joys, right? So, but what I'm getting to is, um, I think in my leadership work and what I try to remind myself of is, we, everyone has a battle going on. There's that famous quote, you know, like um, around that. But to never minimize that battle like nobody's battle is small and nobody's battle is bigger than somebody else's like it's all hard um, yeah. and same with the joys like these are all joys and everything in between the mess is all mm-hmm. all worthy to everything we experience as humans and the emotions mm-hmm. and the yuck and the good like it's all worthy and to bring that into how I um, I hold space with, with people is really important to me and to create that space where people know that they, what they're going through right now, Mm. it matters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, I want to, I want to wrap up a little bit by just talking about what's lingered. And I mean that from like a funny place, like (laughs) you know, things that were just absurd or like, you know, we've, we've talked about some heavy stuff and some yeah. big, lear- big learning, powerful learning. And yet there had to be a million things that were also just hysterical or absurd or bizarre. And I would love for us to end on a laugh.
2: <laughs> oh man. Why? Well, I'm like, yeah, I've laughed on so many things about this whole world and it's where, why are those not coming up the thing that's coming up for me right now mm-hmm. uh is I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to use this because we'll have to see if, if they're right. okay yeah. with it but is uh my so in between surgeries my mom and I were staying with my now husband's been like early days boyfriends parents who lived outside mm-hmm. of Seattle who so they generously opened their homes to us but um my at one point my partner uh ended up having to wash my mom's underwear (laughs) like this college (laughs) like he was in his senior year of college and like this college (laughs) (laughs) and it just is like such a and so like whatever we've like for years after that whenever we were like uh something came up where it was like maybe tmi or too much closeness to like for my mom and my partner uh, it's always like I've washed your underwear. Like That's we're right. good. <laughs> we've
1: we've gone to the places, right? Uh, well, I um, I'm sad we have to close, but we do. And I I just again want to thank you so much um, for you know just offering such a, a a big piece of your life to our listeners and to to me. You know, um, your sharing of the story just reminds me of. The power of community, Mm the power of self trust, of believing in oneself, learning how to have a voice. Um, My last question is What would you tell yourself in that moment now? The moment you, for example, found out that you were, that you made the decision you were going to go through the surgery. What would you tell that, Emily, now?
2: The moment I decided to go through the surgery. I would tell her, you are stronger and braver than you could ever imagine. And you are more loved than you could ever imagine. And let that be the truth and let that be a part of your life.
1: Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you all so much for listening to episode three. Uh, we will be back next time with a new story and a new guest. And. We can't wait to uh, be with you again.
3: Thank you all.
0: Thank you for taking the time to gather with us today. Keep our connection strong by visiting us at timetogatherpodcast.com or by following the Time to Gather podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you. What resonated today? What are your stories? What risks have you taken?
2: We love connecting with you and doing this work. Head over to our website and hit the donate button to help keep the stories coming. We're a grassroots, lo-fi effort, and your support is both needed and appreciated. Thank you, and we can't wait to gather with you again. the wrap.